Welcome back, Seaweed Brain listeners, to another episode of The Chalice of the Gods. Today, we are trying to cover a lot of chapters because guess what? We get to talk about the Disney Plus show on December 20th, and that is in (laughs) under a month, so we better finish this book. Today, we are going to embrace our geriatric old age with a wonderful special guest, so stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Carter. Good morning, my co-host. <laughs> morning. How are you doing? Oh, you know, hanging in there. <laughs> Always exciting to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> and we are welcoming back a very special guest today for her second appearance on Seaweed Brain Podcast. Everybody say hello to Alessia, illustrator extraordinaire. <laughs> hello, everyone. <laughs> How are you doing, Alessia? Fine, thank you. You know, managed to at work. uh, (laughs) Had an awesome trip to Japan. Yeah. I I want to go back. And you loved the book? Yeah, a lot. It was very cool. Uh, It it has this feeling uh, um, of cool vibes. uh, And you don't... Uh, have, um, are afraid about the lives of the character and I don't know it's uh, like a slice of life in a teenage demigod person life it's really cool I really loved so much it was so funny I mean where would you like rank it as far as your favorite Riordan verse books because there's a lot <laughs> I don't know actually <laughs> really I don't know <laughs> somewhere somewhere above the lost hero and below the house of Hades. <laughs> like more than the trials of Apollo. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Probably yes. <laughs> I think that I think that makes sense. <laughs> we could agree with that. Oh, and I almost forgot before we start talking about our chapters for today, we have to shout out our new patrons for this month on a special segment called Thanking Our Patrons. So to thank our patrons, uh, we have to thank Emma, Nicole, Owen P, username Pocketful of Sunflowers, and Pinkamia. I hope I said that right. Thank you guys for joining our Patreon. <laughs> that being said, Alessia, we have a book-themed question for you um, before we get into our chapters. And that question is, what would the chalice of Alessia dispense what is your favorite beverage in the whole world oh that's a cool question um i can say beer right no you <laughs> can say that's fine say beer. <laughs> okay you're over 18 in italy you're fine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and well actually i love a lot of mm, teas and so this um i love black tea actually so black tea hot black tea <laughs> Love it. Do you take milk or sugar? Nothing. Plain. Just tea. (laughs) I'm a bad girl, I know. (laughs) No, that's like Carter said, classy. Okay. I think it's time to dive in. Where did we last leave off? We last left off 
in oh I forgot physically where was it um was it Lincoln Center this time or was it Harlem? It was Harlem. Harlem. We were talking to Iris. We were having a follow-up conversation with Iris after we completed the mini quest and getting the information that she promised about her lead suspect for the thief of the chalice. The lead suspect is Gary, and Gary is somewhere in Greenwich Village. Somewhere in Greenwich Village. Is that a Bruno Mars? That was a very reference? niche Bruno Mars reference, yes. <laughs> More specifically, I guess, a Brennan Brown reference. Um, exactly. <laughs> so we're going to meet Gary. Yeah, so we're going to meet Gary, but we're going to dilly-dally a little bit first. <laughs> Most importantly, we're going to dilly-dally... Oh, wait, no, we're not even there yet. I was going to say, we're going to dilly-dally for Mochi Donuts, but that's actually that's actually later. That's actually later, and it happens off-screen. We yeah. we never go to the Mochi Donut Shop, which is a little bit Which sad, is really but, um, rude. Yeah, I don't know why Rick would include <laughs> that and not take us to the Mochi Donut Shop. But we, we come back in on Chapter 21, which is about Percy giving relationship advice. No, no seriously, seriously, why are, are you, you laughing? laughing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing, you know? Yeah, this framing is so funny because obviously the, the discourse that we have had has so clearly cemented for all of us an idea of Percy as being part of a very famous, iconic romantic couple arrangement pairing situation does this make sense that book percy would would i mean i guess book percy is like a 17 year old who maybe doesn't have necessarily high confidence in his communication abilities perceives this relationship as primarily luck-based or um arbitrary historically contingent which is true but doesn't you know invalidate the fact that he has thoughts and feelings and, and knowledge and experience to bring to bear. But it is a little bit funny that he's talking to Grover about this, which he is. He's talking to Grover about the relationship that, he, that Grover has with Juniper, which you might remember is technically earlier than Percy and Annabeth's <gasps> DTR moment. Although, when did I they get don't together? know how long Grover and Juniper have known each other. They got together how? in Battle of the Labyrinth, but we don't know how long they've known each other because Juniper's like always been at, at the camp. Right. And Grover's always... Who and Grover say? is... Roughly 26 or something. Elderly as well, yes. A geriatric. Um, <laughs> what do you, Alessia, since, okay, the last time you were here, we were in the sun and the star land, so I feel like we haven't gotten to talk to you about some of these characters. How do you feel about Grover and Juniper? How do you feel about Grover, period? <laughs> Strange, actually, because, uh, I, I don't know, I thought Grover was more mature in the relationship, also because he's older than... Percy, but when mm -hmm. I, I read this this chapter, I say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Grover, please. <laughs> <laughs> also, be before when he was so so crazy about Blanche, so I say, okay, yes. Um, yeah. I, I think actually they are a very standard couple. I mean, there are this kind of problem in the relationships. It's Pretty natural. It was uh, interesting because Grover, he, he, he won arm Juniper, but he didn't mean to, but he did, so... Right. So he needs to, like Percy says, apologize, tell her you weren't thinking you were being stupid. Exactly. As Grover says, right, like you do with Annabeth. And Percy says, um, yeah, <laughs> Carter, I feel like you can confirm or deny with me here. Grover was really obsessing over Blanche in the way that one might say obsess over Mariah Carey or yeah. Lady Gaga. Um, I, would, I, I would have to agree yes. with that characterization. Yes. yes. And I think it becomes apparent when Grover, he's confused because he thinks it's a category error in his head. Yes. That somebody would be jealous of Blanche because he, he just goes like, wait, I don't get it. She's a demigod. That doesn't, 
yeah. doesn't compute. He's mentioning her name because he's like obsessed with her. She is an icon to him and he would never have romantic feelings for her. But of course that doesn't affect the way that Juniper reacts to it. Presumably. We don't see her on screen. We don't see her. We need to keep in mind her, her reactions. Yeah. And apologize. <laughs> I think that's that on that, right? Yeah. It's a cute scene. It is cute. I like it. This whole thing, by the way, takes place at a swim meet at Percy's school where Percy is randomly cheering people on but doesn't know anybody's name. Oh my god, that's so funny. I love him just being present but with absolute minimum effort. He was like, I never practiced. I'm just going to, I'm going to play second, do what I can, fitting in. Yeah. As we're wrapping this up, we we have to plan the next logistics, right? We know that we're going to Greenwich Village. We have to figure out when we're going to get there, what we're going to do. And Part of this is Percy's being like, oh, like, what? why don't we go tomorrow? We know where we're going. And Grover is like, no, actually, sorry. I need to spend the weekend at Camp Half-Blood repairing my relationship. Let's go on Monday. The change of pace, like, we've talked about the pacing of this book before. This is wild. This Grover is wild. Says, like, we're going to put it off till Monday? <laughs> we're taking Are you a kidding two-day me? pause on all activities for this quest so I can be a good boyfriend, which is, like, appropriate. But in the past, it would have been like, no, the world would have already ended by then. You know, like somebody yeah. would have already murdered the god of something, you know? Yeah. Can but I also offer it. to me how wrong it sounds to say Grover is going to be a good boyfriend? Like, I just don't think that that's a word Grover uses. I boyfriend? really think Grover says partner, like really hard. Oh. Do you know what does. I mean? I do know what you mean. Are you? I live in the Do Bay you understand area. what I'm saying? <laughs> Barry is surrounded by heterosexual grad students who all have partners. It's wild. Um, (laughs) Yay. Shout out to them. them. (laughs) This is also sweet that Grover is starting to be nervous about Percy and Annabeth leaving him. But Percy says, like, you know, don't worry, man. You're our... You're the raft that keeps us floating or something like that. (laughs) Um, And we know because this takes place before Charles Apollo that, like, very much they aren't going to lose contact with Grover or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah. He is, I mean, he is the third wheel in this friendship. So I understand. I think it's realistic for them to include him being kind of like, oh, you guys are going to go off without me. Yeah, absolutely. This chapter ends on, then I jogged off toward the diving board. I hadn't practiced my dive at all, but I figured I'd spent so much of my life plummeting downward. I'd be a shoe in for first place. This is funny because he means both physically plummeting downward and um, on the trajectory of his life plummeting downwards. (laughs) I also sent Carter this video. I don't know if you've seen floating around on the internet, Alessia, that's like an edit of Walker Scobell as Percy falling down in the like 90-second trailer that we got just like 10 times, like falling, tripping, hitting towards the ground. (laughs) I'll link it in our show notes. It's, It's adorable. And then chapter 22, I get a cupcake and a surprise. Dilly dally. Yes, we're going to continue to dilly dally. It's dinner party time. This chapter is almost too cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite text funny. <laughs> yeah. Carter, would you like to read some of the opening? It takes strength and courage to bring dessert to my mom's for dinner. My mom is a famously good dessert maker. Most people would be too nervous to bake anything for fear it wouldn't hold up to comparison. Fortunately, Annabeth is both strong and courageous, which meant I got cupcakes. Sweetheart, these look amazing, my mom said, accepting a tray of Annabeth's latest creations. Annabeth teared up with gratitude. I have seen her shrug off compliments from gods, but my mom's praise really got to her. I guess it was because she'd grown up with Athena as her distant maternal figure. Sometimes I wondered if Annabeth was open to the idea of marrying me someday, only because she was excited about getting Sally Jackson Blofus as her mother-in-law. Honestly, I couldn't blame her. Whoa. 
Did he just use the M marriage. word? Yeah. <laughs> Did that 17-year-old just say marriage? Actually, yeah. When I read that, it was, whoop, okay. Yeah. Right Next time they're going to yeah. talk about getting a Costco card together. How do we feel about that? I was like, okay, Percy, <laughs> slow down. <laughs> I'm all about Percy. It was the greatest love story ever told, but like. You should go to college first. Yeah, we're not going to have any glee nonsense up in here. Like, let's... No glee nonsense. <laughs> oh. That's cute. It, it is accurate. I'm sure we're all having the exact reaction that Annabeth had, too. When Percy probably first mentioned, like, hey, do you want to marry me one day? She was like, um, let's slow down. <laughs> uh, culinary design. Annabeth yes. is maxed out on credits at her high school. So they were like, you should take study hall. And she said, no. I'm going to take an elective, much like Erica Ito in her senior year of high school doing culinary <laughs> food science, food, food chemistry, chemistry, but not at all like that. Annabeth is doing <laughs> culinary design. And Percy's like, yeah, I'm sure she's going to be making arches and, and ionic columns out of cupcakes any day now. I think this is an interesting detail as well, that Annabeth doesn't make blue food because she right? is leaving something to be an inside thing for Percy and his mom. That's like a lovely detail. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's really an act of love, actually, because this is your thing and it stay your thing with your mom. And yeah. I don't step in. I, I really appreciate it very much, actually. I, do I agree, too. I agree. Not just from like a, this is your thing with your mom, also from the perspective of, I am not your mom. You know? Period. More on that. <laughs> I will not be making you blue food. I'm not your mom. I am a different woman in your life fulfilling a different role. And that is how you will treat me and I will treat you. <laughs> yeah. Annabeth knows things. Yeah. <laughs> she knows far more than I knew when I was 17. <laughs> <gasps> anyway, we love boundaries. I also really like this little detail of Paul being at the Battle of Manhattan. Just like thinking about how he's seen some stuff. And he's been around. And it made me think a little bit about how special it was to have both Paul and Sally at the Battle of Manhattan and how rare that is in a middle grade or YA or really like any kind of fantasy book where like we have the, the orphan protagonist trope to have mm -hmm. their parents with them. Poseidon wasn't there. He was fighting in his underwater palace. But to have both Sally and Paul there like supporting Percy as much as they could that's special. I don't think we see that very often. Yeah. Being cool, having some window into what he does, even if not yeah. complete understanding. It makes sense. Yeah. The world might misunderstand you, but like Rick gave Percy these like loving parents, which is cool and inspiring. And probably a reason why a lot of parents enjoy reading these books to their kids. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. We we have I think this is gonna be our like official side quest for the book, even though we've been doing it unofficially, is tallying up all of the music references from before 1980. There have been so many music references. There are so many. Yeah, we had to stop and talk about every one of them. <laughs> ancient. Bob Dylan, fine. I know some there, there was a kid at my like undergrad institution whose whole thing was just like signing up for every little concert talent show thing and just pretending to be Bob Dylan. Waitian. Um Oh, but <laughs> oh, I forgot he's doing that. Right. It's yeah. going to be his second musical now that he's doing this. Timmy T. Timmy T. I had a dream about Timothy Chalamet two nights ago. It was very vivid. Wow. I woke up and it wasn't real, but we like became really good friends in it. I honestly see that for you. I don't know why I'm acting like that's the first time I've dreamed about becoming friends with Timothy Chalamet. It's not the first time, but that was the most recent time. two nights ago. I just thought I'd mention I feel it. like Timothy Chalamet is somebody that you could be friends with. Both is, in like I a, I see that, that in for an your insulting future way. positive, but also you're negative. You're saying that in an 
insulting way, Carter. <laughs> Why? I think er- er- Erica is capable of being friends with the people who are annoying in the way that Timothy Chalamet is sometimes annoying. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no. So, Timmy, or listener Timothy Chalamet, that's an invitation. <laughs> Bother Erica and not me. Um, you can DM me anytime, Timmy. Uh, okay, but let's let's just talk about the important thing of this chapter. Sally announcing that she's pregnant. Oh yeah, they they set this up so. It's funny. The reason why we're talking about the Battle of Manhattan is because Percy uses that comparison to describe the way that Paul is acting. He's like, Paul is not sitting comfortably. Paul is tense. He's seen some stuff. I wonder what horror we're going to find out about today. And it's Sally's pregnant. That, yeah. that, that is the big reveal. Yeah. Annabeth already knows, of course. <laughs> yes. Clearly, Percy doesn't watch that much TV because you know that if you see a woman ever turn down an alcoholic beverage or barf, she is pregnant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Instantly I mean, the first thing you notice is okay, she doesn't drink wine, she's pregnant. She's pregnant. But I know it's Percy, probably. That is TV logic. There's a wow, there's a delightful sequence in Bojack Horseman that is just like every single TV trope reason why someone's pregnant in like 30 seconds. Specifically, one of the characters like arrives at her like future in-law's place and they're like not married yet. So it's just like all of it, like the in-laws are like, oh, would you like to ride our custom roller coaster? Would you like to um, <laughs> do a bunch of jumping jacks really quickly? What if we engage in the ancient custom of punching each other in the stomach? <laughs> like mutually, real fast. <laughs> but no, it is wine. Percy <laughs> takes the news really well. Percy takes the news really well. Everyone's really scared that he's not going to, which I think is more fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> like what is he going to do? He's going to be an 18-year-old throwing a fit that he's going to have a younger sibling? Like, Yeah. What? <laughs> I get it from Annabeth's perspective where she like has some trauma with her relationship with her step siblings. Like Annabeth is worried that he's going to say that he wants to help raise the kid. Like that's a different Sally. I don't understand what like Sally and Paul are worried about in this moment. Maybe I guess they're also worried that he's going to be like that he's going to not go to college and help them or something. But that I think seems that's why Sally and Paul are nervous. I think Annabeth is nervous because she didn't like her step siblings at all and is worried that Percy is also going to not be excited about this because it's going to like yeah. distance him from the the family. But of course that's so, I think that that's very, that's fair, but that happened to Annabeth when she was seven. Yeah. But <laughs> as the character descriptions for the Disney plus auditions for Annabeth wrote, Annabeth helps Percy with his demigodhood while Percy helps Annabeth connect with her humanity. So, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's fair. <laughs> it's a good scene. We're going to go to school before we go to Washington square park. But before we go to school, we're going to take an ad break. All right. Welcome back. Chapter 23. Ganymede explodes all the beverages. This is a quick, we're at school chapter, meeting with our guidance counselor, Eudora. She's checking in. She's seeing how it's going. We check in with Eudora. There is, Mm. is this that there's one blue Jolly Rancher left? No, that's later. Oops, spoiler. This is, this is, (laughs) I was still sore from the fight with Ellison, which talk about getting old. Percy needs to be stretching before his battles. It's true. He needs to do some knee warm-ups. Some wrist exercises for his sword, you know, and then he needs to do a cool down after his battle. You gotta bend the back tips of your fingers like away so that, you know, you don't get carpal tunnel from your sword fights. Yes, you have to practice your flexion and your extension through your wrists. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he's getting old. Me too. Me too, kid. He's getting old. <laughs> We're having a conversation with Eudora about the, how the quest is going, and Percy mentions that probably he's gonna have to go fight Gary next. Eudora freaks out recommends an associate's degree in mechanical engineering. 
She is not a good guidance counselor. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> Percy is not a woman in STEM. Percy is not a woman in STEM. Why would she think that Percy is going to be a, a mechanical engineer? What? Mechanical engineering also, for the record. Now that I know Gross some mechanical STEM. engineers. No, I was going to say the opposite. Mechanical <gasps> engineers, some of them, some of them. The ones I know, smart people. You know, like listeners don't try to fail upward into mechanical engineering is what I'm saying here. Eudora's advice is not, not excellent here. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but Eudora's freaking out she obviously knows who Gary is but like isn't providing any information and just kind of leaves or mm-hmm. like yeah. you know I just remembered I had a thing literally disappears from the room in terror anxiety fear um, mm. instead of giving Percy further advice yeah knowing what we know about Gary do we think that's just because she knows he's kind of undefeatable probably Yes, I think that she's decided that like out of all of the people to encounter that Percy has brought up so far in this mini quest, he is the biggest obstacle. Right. right. Which is true. Yeah. When Ganymede shows up, not too much happens. But I, I do really like this moment where Percy goes to the library, um, which first of all, whoa. Uh, Percy in the library? What? Wow. Annabeth, you really did something to that boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's the library. There's a little Norse shout out. Shout out Magnus Chase. But mostly Percy is like thinking as he's trying to research and find out who Gary might be, reading these mythology books. He's like, you know, the look on Ganymede's face when I was talking to him, re his torment by Zeus, was the same as the look on the face of Ellison after I exploded his river, which is beautiful that Percy can recognize the like negative effect of his power and how scary mm-hmm. he has the ability to be. Like Annabeth said, he can get scary when he's mad mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to be like that. He doesn't want to be like Zeus is. He doesn't want to be like Zeus. He is understanding Ganymede differently in this situation where even though Ganymede is a god and could, you know, like change forms and vaporize everybody, Percy feels primarily at this point pity for him and increasingly a sense of control. Like the dynamic of the quest now is a little bit less, you know, God ordering Percy around and a little bit more Percy increasingly feeling that he is doing this as a favor to Ganymede, that Percy is the one with the power in this dynamic and Percy is kind of struggling to reconceptualize that way. Well, not struggling that much. He is reconceptualizing the quest and his relationship to Ganymede, his power and his responsibilities around the idea that Ganymede is a vulnerable being. When Ganymede's talking about Zeus, there's so much precarity that he's expressing that like he might, even though he is a god, be sort of vaporized, cast out, lose everything because he doesn't have the cup when Zeus happens to throw a party. Like that that also I think is so interesting about this. Wow. There's like a thing in the psych literature about how like the the way to like impact somebody the most is to have sort of intermittent reinforcement of things do we do we know what i'm referring to that like if you have like regular um rewards mm. it like basically if you can predict a reward structure you will like learn it and you'll come to accept it expect it all of those things if you have like a Pavlovian some randomness response? in it it's not, not Pavlovian, exactly okay. but it's but basically what it's 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 the same theory that um drives like cinderella behavior or like like emotionally unavailable dating which is to say that like people tend to emotionally fixate on and like place the highest value on things that are not 
totally predictable reward structures. And that is sort of what is going on here as well. Like it gives you the most joy, but also the most anxiety when like you can't really predict when a good thing or a bad thing is going to happen. Oh, Um, (laughs) no. As you might expect. And that's like that. That is like the weirdness about the sort of doomsday clock hanging over us in this book is that the, you know, like the big negative event that we are trying to outpace here is Zeus deciding to throw a party. And we have an idea about what party he's going to throw and when it will be. But we don't act... Fundamentally, we don't know. At any point, Zeus could decide, I need a cupbearer now. And Ganymede is toast. And all this will have been for naught, you know? And that's, like, that's not a quest structure that we've had before. This sort of randomness and, like, emphasizing in that, like, the power relationship, the, like, arbitrary nature of like Zeus's demands and of everything that we're doing kind of. <laughs> yeah. So do we think Ganymede doesn't know about the feast for Minerva that we found out about? The, uh, Ganymede I think knew of it, but th- this is the chapter where he's like Zeus might not wait. Right. Um, right, right. He might it might come even sooner. Yes. Mhm. I mean Percy feels empathy for Ganymede because he too gets run around in circles by the gods. And even though Ganymede is doing that to Percy, he has a lot of maturity and awareness to be able to also feel bad for Ganymede in his situation. Actually, it seems like Percy is the adult and Ganymede is the kid in this situation. Yeah. Um, he, he, he acts like a kid. In fact, he is a kid. It's seven, yes. 17, 20 years old. I don't remember. And you can see here that he is very young. Okay, he, he lives for... He lived for million yeah. centuries uh, but he's still a kid and so he, mm-hmm. he... you're totally right yeah it's like an arrested development situation both in the yeah. like classical psychology sense of this great trauma happened to Ganymede when he was young but also literally in the sense that like when he became a god he stopped aging he hasn't exactly <laughs> he hasn't advanced beyond that point that mm-hmm. he was at when Zeus kidnapped him and so Percy is becoming or is already kind of we can't exactly tell like older than right. Ganymede and will continue to mature beyond Ganymede as somebody who is not immortal yeah and references that here in this exact moment uh-huh. as he's thinking about Ganymede he says like it's really important that I get this cup to him not only because I want to help him but also because I fundamentally believe in the importance of getting older and growing more mature yes how neat. How tidy. <laughs> All right. Chapter 24. I brush my teeth in the most heroic way possible. This chapter this... gagged me. Wow. So listeners, for those of you who can't remember by chapter number, which we don't blame you, this is the chapter that is entirely Annabeth sneaking into Percy's room. like At 4.30 a.m. That is before <laughs> the sun is up. In any season. In New York City, the sun will not be up at 4.30 a.m. no matter the season. It is pitch black outside. And Annabeth breaks into Percy's room as he's having a nightmare about all of the Olympian gods being pregnant. Yes, literally all of them being pregnant and throwing toast at him. So Annabeth breaks in, she uses her knife, comes up the fire escape. Classic. Classic Nico D'Angelo. Iconic behavior. Nico D'Angelo would have done it too. Um, <laughs> and he did. We did it first. I, I felt the same. <laughs> yeah. Rick really understands the fire escape iconography so well in the minds and hearts of the teenagery of America and the extended, you know, among elderly people such as us as well. Um, yeah. the, the imagery is iconic. West Side Story, etc. I was going to say, it goes all the way back to Shakespeare, the balcony. It's 
etc. <laughs> Which they reference here literally as Annabeth is coming in. This is not obviously like a setup in Shakespeare, like in most stagings, Juliet is on the balcony. Oh, Percy is so Juliet coded, please. The Shakespeare quote specifically is the Romeo and Juliet, but soft what light through yonder window breaks. The good news is Percy's romantic advice worked and Grover spent some quality time with Juniper this weekend, I believe planting seedlings in the forest. That was how he made it up to her. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> yes. It is cute. We also get, we're kind of the references, a Stevie Nicks reference here because they're like, that is how Percy imagines the dryadic coven. Pause. That's new. Side note. We've, we've been talking a lot about spinoff books. The Give us the dryadic coven. coven. <laughs> I want to see the dryadic coven meet the Hunters of Artemis right now. <laughs> and they're all dressed like Stevie Nicks. Yes. Long, billowy, gossamer fabric crystals on necklaces sweeping motions yeah 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 um <laughs> okay this is where we actually need to do a reading go for it <laughs> hey when it comes to advice on being the perfect boyfriend she laughed then glanced at the wall self-consciously too loud i don't want to wake sally and paul it's fine i assured her the walls in the apartment were surprisingly thick and if my mom heard annabeth in my room the worst consequence would be that she'd offer my girlfriend a cup of tea it's weird what happens when your parents just accept you and support you and assume you'll do the right thing. You end up wanting to do the right thing. At least that's been my experience. And this is me we're talking about. My mom has more reason to worry than most parents. After years of boarding school, summers at camp, and months fighting monsters on the road, I still wasn't used to being at home full time. But I had to admit that living with my mom and Paul was a pretty sweet gig. Can we talk about Rick's this parenting like advice? self-inserty moment that I think Rick has maybe ever done. And yes. I'm including the time that Rick made two teenagers sing a John Lennon song <laughs> that nobody knows as their top karaoke pick. Rick said um, you have to let your kids do the right thing on their own. Yes. Wow. He said I am wow. making a teenager validate my parenting philosophy in the canon of my book. And power to him. I thought this was so in-world accurate character. Oh, completely makes for sense. For Sally so. and Paul. And for Percy. That Percy yeah. would be like, they would look back on their parenting and be like, yeah, that was good. Like, yeah. I do want to make my parents happy and I want to do good things. Intrinsically. <laughs> yeah. I was still gagged, though. Especially because the implication of Rick putting this here is him being like, it's middle grade. But, reader, if you believe that Percy and Annabeth are, you know, having kissy times in, in Percy's bedroom... Rick <laughs> always wants to write for a middle grade audience because that is his bag and also that is how the series started. And he's never going to write anything that's not for a middle grade audience within the Percy Jackson series. But he also knows yes. that this book is being read by a lot of people who, like us, are in their 20s now yeah. <laughs> who grew up with these characters. And he is realistically telling us this is where they're at in their relationship, you know, while still being appropriate. I do also feel like if a 12-year-old were reading this, a 12-year-old would be like, oh my God, Percy and Annabeth in a room. They are probably kissing, kissing on the mouths. And, you know, but but like, you know, like 12-year-olds know shit. 12-year-olds know about the world. And I think this is honestly like a very valuable, appropriate time for Rick to do the self-insert. Like, by the way, be thoughtful about your decisions. Not because your parents tell you to. Like, I, I don't mm -hmm. want to write a book in which, like, we have Coach Hedge the remix up in here. Like, Coach Hedge the remix. <laughs> Coach Hedge, get like, out of Percy that stable Annabeth right are, now. Like, grown 16, 17 year olds who, like, are going to do what is right for them because they're smart and they're thoughtful and because their parents respect them. And, like, period. 
I think that makes sense. The teenager can understand what he's talking about and middle grade mm-hmm. yes. say, okay, that's just they are alone in the room and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's not saying, it's like not even as direct as like saying like respect your bodies or something, but it's like basically him saying like, you know, like all, all of the baggage that you have about whatever might be happening here shouldn't be about your parents. And it's not for Percy and it shouldn't be for you. And that is what we're manifesting for you that you just like, Make good decisions. Yeah. I'm glad Rick included this. I think it's very sweet. And also, I think it's so funny that he's finding a way to give advice on parenting. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Well, Annabeth has this magic power where she can look into the future and figure out how long it will take to do certain things. And she calls her power scheduling. I really love this. This is one of the funniest jokes he's so ever much. made, baby. I, I yeah, I, I found this genuinely so funny. And specifically because it's preceded by this moment where Annabeth is like, okay, we've had this conversation now. You need to immediately brush your teeth because I've actually planned out how much like in, to the nearest 15 minutes, how long it'll take you to do various getting ready tasks. And you have to start now. Um <laughs> this is why they have such old married couple energy. This is how we know that Rick bases this relationship off of his relationship with Becky, because this is a classic. Yeah. My parents do this. You know, my mom tells yeah. my dad 30 I, minutes I before the thing this. starts when it's going to start so that he's actually <laughs> on time. Yeah. So it's classic. Like Percy does not know how long it takes him to do his morning routine, but Annabeth does. That is an amazing detail. That totally makes sense. That's part about this the greatest love story ever told. <laughs> Yeah. It's going to take you 30 minutes, she says. And he says, it took me 31 minutes. <laughs> yes. Having experienced <laughs> this in my life, I, I, I can greatly appreciate what, what was done here. That's texture, reality, moi. Yeah. Anyway, with that, we're off. Chapter 25, I meet the Goblet Ganger. We have arrived at Washington Square Park. Grover brought the mochi donuts. Love! Love! And he got all the flavors, too. He got green tea, he got ube, There's he got ube. monster. He got black sesame. Annabeth has the ube. That's like so appropriate. Deeply I know. Appropriate. I was going to comment on that. I think that I was like, I think we all need to take a moment for the accuracy of Grover taking the green tea. Percy taking Percy the blue. Percy taking some blue monstrosity. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And Annabeth taking the ube because she is a woman of culture. Yes. She has Wajian step siblings. She knows what to do. She said, give me the ube donut. <laughs> Kronos flashback. Because... Time, he feels time slowing down. Yes. Basically, we get there. We use this little nectar thing that we didn't really talk about in the previous chapters. We got the nectar from Iris. It's magic. But, like, we can't... There's, like, this little detail about how we can't inhale it. That's why we have to talk about Juniper. Um, But it's like a tracking device. We're following the tracking devices. They split up. So Grover, Annabeth, and Percy all go their separate ways. And Percy, at the end, is basically, like, I feel the presence of almost Kronos. Also, shit's weird. There are no nature spirits. The people are frozen. Annabeth and Grover are like in a trance. What's happening? This reminds me of Kronos. Specifically, the line I would like to read is, I felt something rewiring my brain, changing the way I perceived time. The last time I'd had the sensation, the last time I'd had the sensation, I'd been 12 years old standing on a beach in Santa Monica when I first witnessed the power of Kronos. Okay, this, like, the first time I read this, I had to read it twice because it was like, wait, Percy, that's not the last time you had this sensation. Uh-huh. Famously, you fought Kronos many times when you were 15 years old. But, I, you know, broader point, that, like, the first time he felt the sensation, I think yeah. is what probably they meant to say, was on the beach in Santa Monica when he was 12 years old. Just defeated Ares, silver glow over the sun, mm-hmm. voice cackling from the, you know, anyway. Yeah. That was iconic. 
that was a very useful throwback. Mm-hmm. It's these. It's I love how Rick continues to do these references back to the original books, where he's not just throwing stuff in. It's realistically how Percy is relating to the scenarios he's in. Yes. As a warrior and a fighter and a demigod, he's like, okay, how am I going to manage this situation? Well, the last time I was in this, this is what was happening. Maybe Mm -hmm. this is similar to what's happening now, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, I completely agree. It makes sense. We encounter Gary in the park. Gary, as it turns out, is short for Giras. No one predicted that, The god of old age. Not me. I did not predict it. As soon as they said it, I was like, okay, yes, makes sense. Um... But yes, Rick also like he's so he's so funny. And he's like, oh, like he like has to give you the etymology lesson. He has to give you the root word lesson with this. He's like, do you know the word gerontology? <laughs> that's that's geras. That's where that's from. Geriatric, geriatric. He says, geriatric. Okay, teacher, work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is the the description of geras is like very intense, but like sort of expected like visceral almost body horror depending on how you feel about it about how Giras looks like he is a thousand two thousand three thousand years old decaying physically Giras mm-hmm. and his powers and the way that he's described really strongly evoke this like bleach character um that i do not need to explain further because i don't think this is a reference that that many of our listeners have but um if you know shout out to you our in car number two. Um, <laughs> we'll move along. Um, what's happening here? Plot wise, okay. We're, we're meeting Gareth. He has the chalice. He does have the chalice. We see it for the first time. He stands for old age. He doesn't want people to have immortality because he believes in getting older. Which, guess what? Good news. So does Percy. So yes. seems like this should be done That's and dusted the funny part easily. Of this, is that he he's like pulling a doofenshmirtz here. The reason why he's isolated Percy and the reason why he isn't just killing Percy is because he's like, I want somebody to like understand my perspective. And I think you might is what yeah. he says to Percy. Like I, you, yeah. you will believe with me in the value of old age and yeah. in not letting immortality sort of be granted willy nilly to morals. Mm-hmm. But in true demigod fashion, the situation isn't black and white. Just because Percy also believes that immortality is an inherently problematic thing, he wants to help Ganymede because of what we established in the previous couple chapters, that he feels bad for Ganymede um, in the situation that he's in with Zeus, and he wants to like lessen um, Ganymede's mm-hmm. suffering in that situation. And in order to do that, he does need to get the chalice back. Yes. This is a fascinating part of the discussion because up until this point, it's been Gira sort of like spoon-feeding Percy um, his manifesto and Percy being like, oh yeah, well, yes. That makes sense to me. True, I agree. Slay. Yes. Up until we get to More the point that. where he's like, oh yeah, and now we're gonna like, I'm gonna humiliate Ganymede to prove this point. Um, and like get him destroyed and run out by Zeus. And Percy's like, well, no. Um and like we're and specifically Percy's like, I see Ganymede as a victim. You sh- like, don't you pity him? And Garrus is like, no, Ganymede's a god, he has all this power you what you shouldn't pity him like that doesn't make any sense this is an in, like the, the i think the statement about power implicit in this and in percy's whole changing relationship to ganymede is so fascinating like where rick is sort of i don't know if this is the specific message he's trying to send but like asking us to think about what it means to like pity have empathy for people with like some privilege um and some yeah. marginalization I bet this interaction, this whole book and situation with Ganymede was probably instrumental in Percy dealing with Apollo when Apollo becomes Lester Papadopoulos after this book takes place. 
Yeah. Yes. Understanding yeah. complicated power dynamics and yeah. yeah, how to navigate feeling pity for someone who is presently like dependent on you in some ways weaker than you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah totally. I'm thinking that um, it would be cool to see a Riordan verse book where like, because, you know, we always come back to like, okay, well, at the end of the day, it's not their problem. It's Zeus. It's not their fault. It's Zeus's yeah. fault. And he is the ultimate big bad bully. He like, has what to have a reckoning or something. Zeus he needs to have a reckoning. Like, <laughs> we need to see all of the gods getting together and like establishing socialism on Mount Olympus or something and like stripping Zeus of his power, you know? Yeah, like they did with Kronos, actually. <laughs> Yeah. Some kind of yeah. takedown for Zeus, yeah. I feel like, is so like, a, like, like a... inevitable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really, Zeus is framed in this book as the big yeah. bad, <laughs> essentially. Like, even as he's fighting Giras, Percy's like, well, I don't want to be as bad as Zeus. And, which he says, like, several times. And it's true. And we believe him, is the thing. Um, I love that yes. we went from Percy being like, I don't want to be bad like Hercules, to I don't want to be bad like Zeus. <laughs> Okay, power up. Yeah, but yeah, it's true. Power up. It makes sense. <laughs> yes. So, so like, okay, as Percy and Giras are starting to disagree, this is where we bring Hercules back in because Giras is like, okay, if we're not going to, if you want the chalice still and aren't just going to co-sign my manifesto, then I will offer you because we had this delightful little conversation. The same offer I extended to one person, Hercules, in the past, which is to wrestle me. Quote: It's if- always Hercules. <laughs> It's always Hercules. It's true. Like, I like every time Rick is sort of like, I've run out of things. I'm like, girl, there were 12 labors. You know, we. <laughs> I'm surprised we, we haven't we done have all not, 12 in already. Fact, exhausted all 12. There's, th- th- there's more um, somehow. There's two more books in this series. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yes. So, so Giras extends this offer to, to wrestle Percy. If Percy can basically keep him to a standstill, get. Ganymede, or oh, fuck. get Garrus's, is it back to touch the ground versus Percy's face touching the ground that um, he can get the chalice? Percy's face, it's it's Percy's face slammed into the ground or Ganymede, uh, sorry, fuck. Uh, <laughs> Percy's <laughs> face slammed into the ground or one of Garrus's knees, uh, knees to yeah. touch the earth. Yes. Yes. Um, and that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Chapter 26. I negotiate the terms of my disintegration. We lay out the conditions of this and base like it's a fast chapter Percy like Percy lays out some conditions which includes Annabeth and Grover getting sort of like unfrozen coming over Grover offers Giras and Mochi Donut of course yeah conflict resolution diplomacy important you gotta exhaust mm-hmm. all your avenues yeah at, well like Annabeth and Percy have a little conversation on the side a consultation if you classic, will classic 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 Annabeth providing the knowledge about how this worked the first time Yes. She gives us the the historical context, if you will, which is that Hercules did not have a special gimmick. He didn't have a trick. He just was really strong and he couldn't defeat Geras. They tied. Um, and Percy's like, oh, well, um, like, that's a little bit shady. But, you know, I guess I'm not as strong as Hercules. She's right. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I'm, I only got water power and talk to horses, and that's not going to be helpful in this situation. <sighs> Yes. Um, this is this is fascinating. This is where we start to get the doubt setting in in doubt Percy's internal. In. Sorry. Oh, I misquoted. Doubt comes in. Oops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
where Percy basically, as he's working through this, is like, well, I agree ideologically with Giras. And Giras, this is where we first get him saying, Giras might give me the letter if I just mm-hmm. walk away. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> um, I could find a different way to win the quest but isn't one that i want even though i agree with him conceptually what does that mean for ganymede and am i okay with that right um and like to summarize percy's long thing with some direct quotes he he keeps emphasizing that ganymede is traumatized and miserable that's a direct quote we're we're focusing on that as we have in many chapters leading up to this but then his concluding line is, if I chose to wreck his life for his own good without his permission, I wasn't much better than Zeus. Yeah. Doesn't he say, so I profound. believe everybody has the right to like ruin their own life? Yes. yes. Period. That's giving aging. It's giving parenting discourses. It's giving, giving determinism. Zeus is the worst person in the universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The benchmark against which to measure all evil. Um, yeah. It's so yeah. neat. It's so tidy. But it's appropriate. It's very, yeah. it's good for us. To, like, the, I, I was a little bit wondering what, what our fake out was going to be. And, you know, it's kind of a fake out to be like, oh, the villain is old age. We're thinking about aging in different ways throughout the book. But then also for Percy to have this moment of not just being like, okay, I think I feel this way. But then how does that universalize? Like, what does this imply about other people? And what it implies yeah. about other people is that he wants everyone to have the experience of growing and changing and making mistakes. And that yeah. is important and not thematically disjoint from these other yeah. things that we've been talking about. Right. And that's why why, why reading about the dem- Percy as a demigod is such a great character because Garrus, like, he only has one option. He can only see things one way because he is a god and he's the manifestation of this one truth and this one absolute belief but for percy mm-hmm, he can mm-hmm. see all right well there's something there's a relationship between getting older and also making mistakes like you said and ganymede made a mistake he lost the chalice so how do i honor both of these things at the same time as a demigod being this person who holds multiple truths at once i can see that things are more complicated than the gods are able to see them as absolutely yeah, yeah. should we talk about our last chapter for today as we're wrapping up, well, I mean, okay, we have to mention the namesake of our podcast. As like <laughs> Annabeth is about to send him into battle. There, she, she, she says basically, be careful, Percy. And Percy says, quote, it made me uneasy when she called me Percy instead of Seaweed Brain. Percy, a Percy Jackson podcast. That's where we're at today. <laughs> <laughs> that unsettles me too. Yeah. Our very last episode of this podcast, when we're on our deathbed and we're recording, you know, in... A hundred years. It should be called Percy, a Percy Jackson podcast. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) All right. Chapter 27. My dying words are super embarrassing. Quote, I yearned for the good old days when I'd had to fight one-on-one with the war god Ares, wailing on me with his massive sword slash baseball bat, unleashing giant wild boars to trample me, glaring at me with his nuclear eyes. Yes, those were simpler times. They were simpler times. And they were. Right. And they were because he wasn't having this moral conundrum as he's fighting this manifestation of old age. Yeah. And also we would have been like nine years old. Yeah. Things were simpler. Eight years old. Things were simpler. Shout out to that. Um, A few things happen here where Percy's like, okay, can I try water? Let me try explode something. And like, like some water goes out of a sewer and that's kind of it. Um, Eventually. Because he's losing. Percy is losing. He's not going so well. And he cannot come up with a good gimmick to get him out of this. Um. Until he does. Which it makes sense. Adam before this basically said, like, I don't think you'll find one. Death death is inevitable. Age is inevitable. Yeah. It, yeah. 
Oh God. And you know, death do be inevitable because who do we talk about right now? Who does Percy think about to help him come up with his gimmick to get out of this situation? Um, Jason, this was so interesting. Um, I want to hear about We're going to have to read a bunch of this. Do you want to read it? No, Carter, go for it. Um, okay. I thought about how much pain I was going to cause Annabeth. I promised I would never leave her again. When we left this life, I wanted it to be together. Many years from now, when we were old and gray. Wait a minute. I felt some strength come back into my legs. I was still in agony, but maybe I was getting crushed a little more slowly. I remembered something my buddy Jason once told me. In a moment of crisis, he'd had a dream that he was an old man, married to his girlfriend, Piper, with a bunch of grandchildren running around. Piper, oh, oh oops, sorry. He hadn't taken the dream as an ironclad glimpse of the future. When it comes to mortal lives, the fates never hand out money-back guarantees. But he told me that wasn't the point. When he needed it most, the vision had made him feel like there was a way forward, something to live for and fight for. I dug my fingers harder into Gary's arms. Wow. Yes. What did we think about that? Alessia, you first. <laughs> wow. That, that's super cool, actually, because the whole thing to embrace old age is pretty cool, actually. So I, I, I am pretty older mm -hmm. than Percy, and I totally um, under, understand and understand Jason um, thinks it, it's really cool because we we have to deal with the fact that we we're gonna uh, getting old and we're gonna die one day. So uh, it, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's really cool. <laughs> actually. Yeah. I think people were hoping to see some appearance from Jason in this book because this book takes place before, spoiler, sorry, if, if you haven't read the Charles Apollo plug your ears, Jason dies. And so people were like, oh, maybe Jason's going to show up. And he doesn't. But he does get this little nod and mention um, in such a sly way for Rick to say that wasn't an ironclad glimpse of the future because that doesn't yeah. happen. Wink, wink. Sorry, guys. Ha, 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 ha. All caps. Rick Riordan moment. Um, yes. But I like the There's a BoJack that, Horseman like, episode that is this exactly. Um, it mm -hmm. is episode 409. It is a fake glimpse into the future that does not happen for the whole episode as a way of literally, like, similarly trying to lurch yourself forward um, and, you know, not give up yeah. and die. <laughs> just the hope of the future being enough um should, wait, should i read the very end of the chapter <laughs> i think we do need to read the very end all right i'll read it at the bottom of 211 i thought about a conversation i'd had with paul a few months back i teased him about how he was getting more gray hair every year he said hey getting older sucks but it beats the alternative i didn't really get that at the time were the only choices really dying or getting old when you're a demigod you worry a lot about staying alive you hardly ever think about old age. I'd been so focused on just making it out of high school, becoming an adult, but maybe that wasn't the ultimate goal. Getting old might be scary and difficult. It involved things I didn't want to think about, like arthritis and varicose veins and hearing aids. But if you grew older with people you loved, wasn't that better than any other alternative? I glanced at Annabeth and Grover. We'd been through so much together. I imagined Annabeth with silver hair and wrinkles, chuckling as she called me seaweed brain for the four millionth time in our lives. 
I imagined a Grover with tufts of white hair coming out of his ears, his back hunched as he leaned on a cane, bleeding as he complained about his aching hooves, then maybe taking a nap on a bench in our beachside garden, while I sat next to him, resting my aching bones as I watched the waves and smelled the sea air. Aching bones weren't hard for me to imagine. Actually, the rest wasn't hard to imagine either. Gary expected me to wrestle him, and unless I died young, I couldn't beat old age. But what if I embraced him? It was a ridiculous idea. Stop fighting and just hug it out with geriatric Gary? My knees started wobbling again. I had maybe one second before he crushed me against the tetherball pole. I loosened my grip and wrapped my arms around the god. Then I said what I was pretty sure would go down in history as the dumbest last words ever. I love you, bro. <laughs> Rick uh. Riordan at his finest. Using metaphor and the gods as figures and Percy referencing his life and understanding that he can't wrestle with old age. And we get the sprinkle of Persebeth in there and the imagery of that scene. And then the, it's just, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. This is probably my favorite part in the whole book. I really love the idea that Percy and Annabeth retire in a little seaside cottage and Grover is just there. <laughs> and he sleeps outside. He like comes for he, lunch and stays for a nap afterwards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stays for a nap and then he's like, oh, I woke up from my nap and it's time for dinner. And then he stays for dinner. Yeah. And then they're like, Grover, we don't have an extra bedroom. And then he sleeps in the bed in the middle between the two of them. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. the seaside i mean can, let's it's have true. a moment the, the, for the seaside cottage the vision is full it is complete it is resonant it's so percy to abandon fighting and to hug it out <laughs> and also that he yes. thinks about jason and then immediately goes to i love you bro he was in his bro mode. <laughs> yes. Has this trope been done before? Yes. Is it appropriate for this context? Absolutely. We'll do Absolutely. it again. Yeah. I do think it was sweet to honor. I, I, I felt like it was a bit of an honoring of Jason's character here. Um, even as we know him to be dead. <laughs> and even as we have honored him plenty through the rest of the trials of Apollo. <laughs> Even as perhaps is enough. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on this, this moment? The Persebeth of it all. It's right. It's right. Um, I kind of felt like, okay, so I haven't read past this chapter yet, um, but I was like, okay, is the book over? Because that kind of feels like we just wrapped everything up, yeah. you know? It's going to work. He's going to get the chalice. And now it's just like wrap up time? Question mark. If it were like, a, I, I think if we were like in a main stage story, hefty, fast paced, that would be basically the end. We would have like two debrief yeah. scenes. We'd have two debrief but chapters. But we're not in that. We are in something that is more comedic. So we get to have. Yeah. <laughs> like the lighter frantic uh -huh. final push, which is what's yeah. coming. Yeah, we've got some quite a few chapters left. Oh, Alessia, did we ask you this the last time we were here? Maybe not. Regardless, you get to answer it again. Do you think Persebeth is the greatest love story ever told? Yeah, probably, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> begrudgingly. <laughs> and and why would you say that? Well, <laughs> because they are perfect for each other. I mean, they are um, two opposite poles, uh, and they um, counterpart the other. Uh, I I think they are pretty balanced in as a couple. So. And yes, they are like old age couple now. <laughs> so they are yeah. um, the perfect couple. I, I, I can imagine Percy with another one, another person, and Annabeth with another person at this this time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, even oh. if I say Percabet, but I think he's uh, my Italian. Live your truth. Don't let us bully you into saying Persebeth. <laughs> that only goes for Alessia, though. Everybody else, please let us bully you into saying Persebeth. Um, <laughs> only Alessia is allowed to say Persebeth. <laughs> <laughs> but because we Italian is Percy and Annabeth is Percabet, uh, we, we say that is is written, so it's Percabet. But I, I know it's probably right to Persebeth, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I support you. Live your dreams. <laughs> uh, another moment of silence for the seaside cottage. I can't stop thinking about it. The beachside garden, please. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll see you all there in our geriatric old age. Okay, well, Alessia, will you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? Yeah, they find me on Instagram, alessia.trunfio, and Twitter. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and yes. I'm there, always. <laughs> Do you have any work you want to promote that you, you've been working on? I have some work going on, but they are still an ADA, so I can talk about them right now. No, no. <laughs> nothing nothing um, Percy Jackson related, actually. But <laughs> You can say big things coming. Yeah, big things coming. <laughs> Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Thank you again for joining us today. I'm so glad we could make this work. And... Next time, we'll be back again, almost finishing this book. Get excited. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's always fun. (laughs) 